Well, before you sit down, look at somebody next to you and say, the worship was just for you. And now look at somebody on the other side of you and say, the rest is for me. Amen. Well, it's great to be here at Triumph this morning and in the house of the Lord. How many know that uh, God has not forgotten us? Yeah. Amen. And it's already in God's heart to bring revival. Oftentimes, I've told people over the years that um, it, we don't have to beg God to do what he already wants to do. All we have to do is learn to touch his heart so he will move his hand on our behalf. Amen. If God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, can God do what he's done before? Yes. Has God been faithful throughout Scripture? Yes. Scripture tells a story after story after story of all the great things God has done. But oftentimes we try to create an altar to the past rather than looking them at them as landmarks along the way. Amen. If we make an altar, we stay there and we'll never move to the place God wants us to be. That's why God speaks often about the latter house being greater than the former, that the things to come will be greater than the things that they, that they were. God always looking for another way of giving us a greater breakthrough, greater purpose, a greater destiny. There's no room for retirement in the kingdom of God. Did you know in the original Hebrew, there is no word for retirement? Now, we might be retired from jobs, but that doesn't mean we retire. God has a purpose for that moment that we step into eternity. And the lives we live before we enter the portals of eternity determine the legacy and the influence we leave for the next generation. I remember um, Pat, uh, Commander Rick Husband from the Space Shuttle Columbian. We became friends with the family along with he and Mike Anderson, who was also on the Space Shuttle Columbian. I remember, remember that tragic day when they were re-entering uh, East Texas, and it disintegrated over the, over the state. But uh, prior to the, to the uh, launch, they asked if I would go to Florida and speak at their VIP reception. And I said, what would you want me to talk about? And they said, we want you to give a presentation of the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection. I said, wait a minute, you have all these dignitaries and friends and family, media will be there, and you want me to do what? They said, that's the most important thing of our lives. What makes us who we are is not about what we do, but who we are in the Lord. And we want you to give a, a presentation of what really makes us tick, so to speak. And so I was honored to speak at that VIP reception. The astronauts were already in quarantine, but they gave a video presentation. The, the wives were there, and, and so I was able to share. But one of the things that Steve Green, who sang there also, uh, one of the favorite songs of Rick Husband was the song, remember the song that goes uh, uh, the, the Beyond Our Galaxy, um, The Wonders Beyond Our Galaxy? Uh, honey, do you remember the name of that song? God of Wonders, yeah. I was just testing to see if you all knew that song. <laughs> but that was Rick Husband's favorite song. So in fact, it was scheduled that whenever he, uh, uh, whenever they were going to wake him up on the space shuttle, they would wake him up to that song. Can you imagine being in a space shuttle and you wake up to the song, God of Wonders Beyond Our Galaxy, and you look outside the space shuttle window? I mean, talk about amazing and the extravagance and awesome of God, awesomeness of God. So that was his desire. And so he sang that song. And so anyway, I was sharing, and afterwards we were all excited, and then I heard the story from Evelyn, uh, Rick Husband's wife at the time, who's remarried now uh, because the memorial, obviously that was like, 12, 13, 14 years ago, and, uh, but anyway, she said that, that Rick would have a 15-minute devotional time with his daughter and his son 
every day. And that he was going to be gone 16 days and did not want to miss his times of devotion. So he stayed up late at night and he did 16 15-minute devos, devotionals, on video for his children. So every morning, day one, day five, day 10, day 12, day 13, every day they popped in that video and they had a devotion with their dad. He was sowing to his future. On that 16th day, they put in that video, and obviously they had devotions with their dad. They were excited about seeing their dad coming into reentry, and then the tragedy happened. But you see, the life they lived before they entered the portals of eternity have left a lasting legacy to the next generation, not just to their own children, but the essence of who they were in Christ Jesus. In fact, Rick Husband, on his formal documents at NASA, every astronaut before they go into space have to fill out these forms and only open in the event of tragedy. Of course, nobody expects it to happen, but they have to fill them out nonetheless. And on the final piece, at the very end of this form, in his own writing, it said, any final words? And he put down knowing this is only if something goes wrong. And he wrote this to his pastor. Just tell them about Jesus and that he was real to me. And sure enough, as the world and the media from all over the world came to Houston and came to that church to find out about Rick Husband, they heard all over the world, in the midst of difficulty, through tragedy, tell them about Jesus, he was real to me. At one of the services, the memorial services we were at, that there was quite a few of them, but one of them was actually Super Bowl uh, Sunday in Houston uh, many years ago. And uh, was that back in 2004, the Super Bowl? And so uh, I remember that uh, Evelyn was sharing, Evelyn's husband was sharing, that they, one of the few pieces they found from the whole disintegration of the space shuttle, fully intact, was the CD he took with him to God of wonders beyond our galaxy. And to them, that was a word of encouragement, a sign of encouragement that God was truly still on the throne. We don't always understand what's going on in life, but we, have, we do know this. We have landmarks along the way that God is faithful regardless of our circumstances. Circumstances do not dictate to us who God is. God is that he is. He is I am that I am. And no matter what our circumstances look like, that's not the end. In my own life, just in 2015, after we just, uh, back in 2011, I was asked to help facilitate a gathering at then Reliance Stadium, and uh, we had 50,000 people showed up for six hours to pray. Can you imagine? And no egos, no logos. We had from Dr. Tony Evans to John Hagee, Hagee. We, had, we had every key Christian leader you can think of came that, mo- that day. That morning, I was on, on CNN and Fox and all the major networks and saying, we understand you're only going to have 7,000 people in a stadium that holds 70,000. I said, look, if only a handful of people show up in true humility before God, put, crossing our racial, denominational, generational lines, just to come for one day to put aside all of our differences, to lift up only one name, the name of Jesus, the only true preeminent one, what can God do? And to our amazement, three governors were involved and know that they were not going to get to speak. They weren't going to do any presentations. It was about coming to lift up only one name. From the platform, we didn't lift up people's names. We only talked about Jesus. 
Isn't that amazing? In all of our diversities, all of our differences, all of our personal preferences, be it denominational, political, uh, whatever it may be, whatever our preferences are, can you imagine what happens when we put them all at the work of the cross yeah. in the very presence of the king and that King Jesus is the one that rules on all of our hearts? What would happen if we could do that for more than just one day at a time? And so that day, we, we saw 50,000 gather. We were amazed by what God had done, and we thought that was going to be it. And so in 2014, another governor at the time from Louisiana said, we need a Joel II solemn assembly in our state, and would you consider doing this? And we said the same thing, no egos, no logos, no preachers pontificating, and no politicians giving speeches, just Jesus. And so we had a few thousand showed up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana in January of 2015. Then we found out the governor of South Carolina wanted us to do one there. And so we agreed that same, same thing, no egos, no logos, no preachers pontificating, no politicians giving speeches, just lifting up the name of Jesus because we recognize that we need Jesus in the heart of the church and Jesus back in the soul of our nation. And that's not going to happen by all of our different institutions. See, my hope is not the institutions of men or women. My hope is not in a denominational name. My hope is not in political preferences. My hope is in the hope of glory, Christ in us. And it's easy to get off and to be skewed just from that slight focus that we need to realize we have to recalibrate, get back to our first love, and forget that all these other things will come and go, but Jesus, his kingdom is unshakable and will never, ever fail us. And so in March of 2015, we'd already agreed to begin to go to South Carolina. And, and again, uh, and what's interesting is all these gatherings, sometimes people come up to me and say, um, excuse me. You facilitated the whole day, and you never said who you were, never mentioned your own organization. What's your name? And I thought that was the greatest compliment because I wanted to make sure, and we fought for that. We wanted to make sure nobody went up and said their own name, gave a website, sold any merchandise. We didn't want to do any distractions but lift up the name of Jesus. They could be the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, to Dr. Tony Evans, whomever, who it was, whatever denomination, Church of God in Christ. But when they came to the platform to pray, they did not mention their own names. We were equalized in the presence of a holy God. Amen. There's something that happens when you're in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God. His presence moves out all those things that might separate us. His presence diminishes all those fears and concerns. His presence brings a sense of his manifestation and his glory in such a way that we're undone in ourselves. And he picks us up and he speaks to us and says, will you go for me? There's something about being undone in ourselves in that place, the posture of humility, that God can do something in us and even greater through us. And so it was in 2015... In March, I was at the gym here in town because I obviously live here. I like to still work out. I just turned uh, 40 for the 20th time recently. <laughs> but I've always still liked to work out. I was in the fitness business for years. In fact, I used to own a place right off of South Gestern in 59, not too far from here, back in the uh, early eight, late 70s, early 80s. Ran a chain of fitness centers before that. And so I've always liked to still exercise because, in fact, I wrote in one of the, uh, in a Bible commentary, as one of the commentators, I wrote down that sluggish minds live in sluggish bodies. And I, for me, that's so true. I don't work out just because I like to go pump weights. I like to go because I need it because it clears my head. And I want to make sure my, the temple of the Holy Spirit is subject to the Spirit of God. 
and my, my mind to be sharp and clear, sound, stable, and, 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 uh, and, and sound before the Lord. I want to make sure that I'm clear in Christ and not according to my flesh or all the pizza that I had or the sugar that I had or whatever it may be. And so in March of 2015, I remember um, going to the gym and I had felt this lump in my throat and thought, well, that's interesting. And so I called a few people and I was up in New England at the board uh, meeting for one of our ministries that's affiliated with this, and, and, uh, and I started noticing another lump, and my wife says, you need to, to get that checked. So I emailed some doctor friends of mine and a cousin of mine at the University of Mississippi who's the head of the medical, medical center there, and, and I emailed some other doctors, and they all, everyone says, you probably should get that biopsy to check. So I came back, no big deal, but by the first week of April, we found out that it was 80% aggressive B-cell lymphoma. And so when I was, and they were getting me into the MD Anderson system, and I remember uh, going to a parking lot of a grocery store for about two plus hours just talking to God. I came back home, I sat down with my wife and my daughter, who's going to be 15 soon, and, and uh, this year, but at that time she was 13, and I sat down with my mother-in-law, who's from Monterey, Mexico. The first thing I said to my wife when I got married in front of my mother-in-law was, dame un beso, mi amor. Now my mother-in-law loves me. <laughs> but uh, so I sat down with my mother-in-law, who's a widow and lives with us, and my wife and daughter, and I said, let me just tell you something. First of all, God did not do this to me. Amen. Now look at somebody next to you, and no matter what you go through, remember this, God did not do that to you. Then I said, if God did not do this to me, then it does not belong to me. We should not take ownership to the lives of the enemy. So if God did not do this to me and it does not belong to me, then we will not let this become about me. But let this turn into an opportunity of a ministry we did not ask for. God knows our appointed times, and if I give up now and lose sight of hope, then I might as well curl up and die now. But I know that God's story is not done. All of us have different journeys. You probably have loved ones, or you maybe have experienced difficulties, or maybe you've gone through sicknesses or illnesses, and all of our stories may have a different piece or component of how we got to where we are, but at the end of the day, Jesus is still on the throne. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I chose not let the enemy dictate to me the direction of where I was going, and it became a ministry we did not ask for. We began to minister to hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of people through that process. And we still went on and we decided we were not going to, we knew that it was a time for our nation to pray, to get the church to cross its racial, denominational, and generational lines to pray, put aside our political preferences, our personal preferences, put aside all of our, of our denominational preferences and come to the point of lifting up the one and only name by which all shall bow and say is Lord. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. There's something about all of our arguings and opinions and all these things that will never bring reconciliation, but always polarizes, put walls up. But if we would come into his presence and say, for this moment, Lord, we just come to, to you. You let us together put down those walls of separation and come into your presence, Lord, because you're a holy, holy, holy God. And we didn't know what the process was going to be, but we continued and we went, and not only did we do South Carolina, we also went to North Carolina, to Florida, to Ohio, 
We went to all these different places to do these gatherings of prayer, and people would leave their denominational titles outside the door, their political titles outside the door, to come to bow their knees before the one and only, the preeminent one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 says that, that all kingdoms, seen and unseen, every dominion, every, every political dominion or kingdom or authority, all these things must bow themselves to the preeminent one, Jesus Christ, the Son of God's love. That means everything we see, do not see, every kingdom, rulership, dominion, and principality must bow its knees to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something about that name. That's why when you look at the, the apostolic fathers and 2,000 years ago, they were told you can preach the gospel, but you cannot use that name, Jesus, because there's something about Jesus. There's salvation is in that name. Deliverance is in that name. Healing is in that name. Liberation is in that name. There's something about that name. Remember the song, Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. See, there's something about that name. Kingdom king and kingdoms will pass away, but there's something about that name. There's only one unshakable kingdom, and that's the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. I remember... In my book, I just came out with recently that three governor or two governors, three university presidents, heads of denominations, and, and many others from Texas Southern University professors to university presidents around the country, they all wrote endorsements in its rough stage, and I was very humbled by that. But one of the stories I talk about in here is about John Stevens Aquari. John Stevens Aquari in the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City came from Tanzania, considered one of the best marathon runners in the world. When he got there, he wasn't accustomed to the high altitude. And during the marathon, I think 75 started that day, and I wrote about it here, and, and, and they started that run that day, and about, about 19 kilometers into the marathon, there was a major collision, and many of them became injured, including him. He dislocated his shoulder, he busted up his knee, he was all bandaged up. They expected him just to stop because he was in pain. His knee was supposedly dislocated or injured pretty painfully. And, and so during the gold, silver, and bronze announcements in the stadium, they thought everybody had already come through. Out of 75 that started, only 40-something ended up finishing. And when he, all of a sudden, they were getting ready to shut down the equipment, people were getting ready to leave the stadium, and they heard a commotion. And here's a guy dragging his leg, trying to jog, trying to walk, last place of all those who finished. And it was John Stevens Aquaria from Tanzania. He crosses the finish line. He gets a standing ovation because here's the greatest act of perseverance and courage in the midst of impossibility. And when the media asked him, why would you finish a race you could not win? And here was a simple re reply to that. He said, my nation of Tanzania did not send me thousands of kilometers to start a race, but to finish the race. God did not call you and me to start a race, but to finish the race and finish well. 
There's no room for retirement. There's no room for disappointments and distractions and disillusionments that keep us from our destination. God wants us to move from the place where we were into a place of expectation, deeper in consecration, higher in expectation, to move towards the place that God has for us. How many have things in your life you know God wants to do that you've not seen fully fulfilled yet? Well, God has not forgotten you. We've got to keep our perspective. It's a season of recalibration. It's a time of getting refocused and getting our eyes back on our first love. Man will always disappoint, but Jesus will never disappoint. Another story I talk about in here is when I first moved to Green Bay, Wisconsin. I was born in Japan. My mother was Japanese, and my father was in the U.S. military. Now we call him Navy SEALs. He was underwater demolition frogmen is what they called him back then. And during the Vietnam War, they became Navy SEALs, and he served in the latter part of World War II, Korean War, and then the part of the Vietnam War. And uh, he left when I was about 10 years old after he retired. My mom married my stepfather, who was also in the military, as a hospital corpsman. But I was born in Japan, and, uh, and when I was about three years old, we moved to California. Now, I know some of you are looking at me like, what is he? For those who didn't know, uh, is he uh, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Filipino, Hispanic? What is he? I got that my whole life. And... Uh, but when I moved to San Diego, I remember going through elementary school, and then we went to Green Bay just for about a year and a half, two years, and then back to San Diego until I was 15, then went on to Japan for high school, uh, for, to an American school in Japan. But I remember in San Diego, many times people would look at me and say, what are you? And I remember when I was 15, we were, they were, getting, ready to, we were getting ready to move to Japan because my stepfather was stationed in Japan. Uh, I thought, well, for sure, when I get to Japan, they'll recognize I'm part Japanese. And even my own relatives looked at me and said, oh, you look like gaijin, which means you look like a foreigner. I go, I don't fit anywhere. <laughs> so I thought I should start my own country somewhere. <laughs> and then many years later, I discovered a place where everybody looks just like me. Hawaii. <laughs> but when we went to Green Bay at that time, there was a lot of tension. And I remember going to a place, to a, an Italian restaurant called Galliano's. And I remember going there, and they would not serve my mother because she was Japanese. And so it ended up on the front page of the papers, and there was apologies. And I heard that at that time, there was a new coach called Vince Lombardi. And, uh, and also Ray Nitschke, Paul Horning, Bart Starr, Willie Wood, all these greats from back then. And, uh, and they decided they would no longer eat at that Italian restaurant that I used to go to quite a bit. The owner apologized to my mother, and later the person who would not serve us apologized. But I remember even back then, as a little boy, probably five years old, six years old, I thought to myself, I will never allow other people's attitudes towards me define who I am. Amen. And later I found out, as long as I focused on the Lord, nobody can but him. Well, I've had always, I've been a lifelong Green Bay Packers fan, because since then, and after that, when my mom ended up working at Galliano's, could hardly speak any English at the time, but they loved her, and they'd come in there, and some of the Green Bay Packers would kiss her hand and talk to her, and, and uh, I remember when I left, they gave me a going away party. They gave me a football uniform that they made for me as a little boy. And let me tell you, mamas, if a football team ever gives your children a football uniform for them, don't let them play in it and lose it. <laughs> If I would have saved that thing, I could have funded the ministry for years to come. 
We cannot let others define who we are. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My identity is in the Lord. And so remember this, that every, we have landmarks through Scripture in every story of the testimonies of the greatness and the faithfulness of God. So if God can be faithful throughout Scripture, and then if we look at our own lives, think about just for a moment, sometimes when we have a hard time seeing how to get through what we're going through and to get an idea of where we're going, remember how God's been faithful already. That's what David said in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of your salvation. God, help me to remember that moment when you arrested my soul and you gave me a revelation of the work of the cross and the power. Oh, God, remember those days? Remember that moment when you got the revelation of who Jesus really was? When God just invaded your world? And then the moment when you say, God, I'll do whatever you want. And God began to speak to you so clearly as babes in the Lord. And then circumstances along the way bring disappointments and even disillusionments. And it distracts us from our destination. When God spoke to the children of Israel, Let's get, I'm going to take you and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And I'm going to take you from this place out of your slavery, out of your, out of your place of depression, out of that place of being, of being in lack, that place of, of the world in Egypt. I've got this place for you called Canaan land, which is a land of milk and honey, a land of promise. And initially there was this revival that broke. They were like, the revival, we've got a place to go. This is exciting. God is going to deliver us. And they had all these amazing miracles of God that happened in preparation. Then they saw the Red Sea open and they passed through the Red Sea. Then in the middle of their desert journey, they heard God speak from heaven. They saw manna, heavenly food, come from heaven. They saw quail out of nowhere being provided. They had water being provided out of a desert. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle. But let me just say this. Did the miracles keep them from sinning against God? Because they lost sight of their perspective. Miracles are great testimonies of God's faithfulness, but it will not keep us. We are a covenant people that should go deeper in consecration and higher in expectation in the Lord. And along that journey, they became, it says they became discouraged on the way in Numbers chapter, in the book of Numbers. They became discouraged on the way. When discouragement is a powerful drug. Discouragement causes us to consider compromise of our covenant commitment to God. Discouragement causes us to compromise our covenant commitments in our marriages. Discouragement makes us think in a way that is not clear to the point that we will let the devil extort from us what already belongs to us. We don't have to take by force what God has already promised us. We walk in covenant relationship with God. And if God be for us, who can be against us? But they became discouraged along the way. They received the truth at Mount Sinai. The way out of Egypt was the Lord, but he was also the truth at Mount Sinai, the place of the presentation of the commandments of God to give them a guidepost of how to focus and keep their hearts focused on him. But they never, for a whole generation, never entered life in the promised land because they never knew how to deal with the place of the moment of truth in the presence of God. And many of us are inhibited or we are also distracted from God's ultimate purpose and promise for us because we get so consumed in circumstance and the things that we see rather than focusing on what God has already promised. And for me, 
That's why I had to keep my focus. If God did not do this to me, then it does not belong to me. It cannot be about me. And I let it turn into a ministry I did not ask for. And to this day, God has opened up so many doors to speak to, to people in garbage dumps, to pe heads of nations, to heads of corporations. It was an opportunity that opened up that God wanted to accelerate his gospel to go forth even through the circumstance that the devil tried to put on me that God had to deliver me from. Amen. Halfway through all the chemo, I was still doing all these prayer events throughout the nation. And in the middle of all the chemo, I was asked to come to Philadelphia to speak at a kings and priests gathering for uh, business leaders and pastors. And we were getting ready to leave on Sunday afternoon. On that Saturday night, I tell my wife, I said, Lisa, I know this sounds crazy. Even when I wasn't, my hair was already gone, you know, it was all falling out. And I didn't know I was going to look like a cool, you know, ninja dude, but it came out looking pretty good. And uh, I remember that Saturday night at the hotel, I said, honey, before we get on the plane tomorrow afternoon, let's get a late checkout. I felt like I'm supposed to run the Rocky steps, like Rocky Balboa did in the movie. And so I said, I want to run down the flags of the nations, and I am, I want to be praying in faith for the, our nation and for the nations of the world. And then I want to run up those 72 steps, the Rocky steps, and I want to do what, what Sylvester Stallone did as Rocky in that movie, and do a victory pose, and, and she's going, okay. Now you have to understand, without chemo, I do not like to run. I've had knee surgeries from sport, um, athletic uh, uh, you know, injuries over the years. and I mean, I don't like to run. I'll do a stationary bike or something, but I do not like to run. I like to pump some iron, do some weights, and that kind of exercise, but forget the running, right? But I felt like doing it. So the, that Sunday morning, I get up before we get ready to check out the hotel, and I said, honey, I, I don't think I want to do this. I, I don't feel up to it. She goes, okay, but you've always taught me you're committed to what you confess. Isn't that like God? He's, Pastor, doesn't God sometimes speak messages to us that they go, I preach that. That's exactly right. I had you preach that, so live it, you know? And so I put on my do-rag and my workout clothes and went out there. And of course, my wife, being such a wonderful lady she is, she decided to tape me on her iPhone. Here, here I am jogging down the Rocky, I mean, the, the flags of the nations of Philadelphia, praying for the nations. I get to the Rocky Steps. I ran up those rocky steps. I did my pose. I ran back down. I felt so good I did it again. That was an act of faith. I still hate to run, but that day it felt so good. And I remember and she put it on Facebook with the, that song. We get back to Houston on that Sunday night. Monday morning I was back at MD Anderson to get some more, my midway PET scan. They called me up on Tuesday. They never called me for my appointments. They, they, they called me up on that Tuesday and said, you're going to make it to your appointment. Yes, I am. I was like, that's really weird. Why would they do that? So we're a little concerned, and we get there. They brought in extra medical professionals, brought an extra doctor who could not believe it. said, look, this is your first PET scan. Your whole body was stage four lymphoma. It was eaten up with cancer. It was moving 80% aggressively, and you're only halfway through your chemo treatments. And this PET scan from yesterday shows no evidence of disease. Now, my first comment was, I looked at my wife, she's crying, I'm getting tears in my eyes, and I looked at the doctors and said, no more chemo? They said, no, no, you got to finish your protocol. I mean, oh, great, you know. So by November 10th of, the, of that last year, they found out that, again, it was still clean, so they called it officially remission. We know God has healed me. 
I thought about keeping my head shaved because I looked like a cool dude. And I had a, a guy who's an ultimate fighting friend. He's a, he's a, he trains with ultimate fighters. And he told my wife in Orlando at a pastor's gathering, I was speaking of 700 pastors. And he said to Lisa, he said, Lisa, I know you're glad your husband's hair is growing back, but he sure looked like a bad ninja dude without his hair, man. <laughs> and most people had no clue the whole time unless they saw the pick line or nobody knew that I had cancer because I was not going to allow my circumstance Amen. to dictate to me who God was. Amen. People would say to me in the middle of that, I would go and do, still do meetings all over and see people getting saved, healed, liberated, and delivered. And people would say things like, well, how can you be praying for healing and see people get healed when you got cancer in your body? I said, let me tell you something. My circumstance does not dictate who God is. So why should I change God's word, character, nature, and spirit because of my circumstance? I will continue to preach the truth of God's word according to his character, word, nature, and spirit, not based on my immediate circumstance. Because every adversity is an opportunity for God to show himself greater. I'm not sure where you are right now and what you've been through. But take a moment to look at the landmarks of God's faithfulness along the way in your life. And if he can do it then... Can he do it today? Can he do it for your future? Don't allow the enemy to cause discouragement that gets you distracted by disillusionment and disappointment from God's intended destination for you. Now, that being said, go with me to Micah chapter 4. And I feel like there's a, a context I want to talk about tonight because we're going to have a time of ministry of healing tonight and a time of breakthroughs tonight at the 6 p.m. service because I believe there's a fresh anointing and that God wants to do something in the latter glory of his house here at Triumph than even all the years former. Amen. Do we take away from all the legacy of the, uh, the foundation that Pastor Randy and Renee have done? No, this is just a new season of acceleration and, 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 and a, an outpouring of God's presence in a way of what you've already prayed for. We're getting ready to come into that season for the future, for God to do something greater in, with synergy and greater exp, uh, in an exponential way than you've ever seen before. Why? Because he's seen the ground game. He's seen the foundations laid of the kingdom that are unshakable. We may not see it immediately with our eyes, but when you lay beneath the surface, the foundation, you can build off of what God has done. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 that you cannot build anything that will last. In fact, everything will implode if you build on anything other than the foundations of Jesus. Amen. So tonight we're going to talk about what God wants to do in the latter glory in your life and in this house. And we thank you, Pastor Randy, for the years and years and years of faithfulness. I know that, um, that we've known each other many years. But the, the fact that you've been steady and faithful, I just thank God for your courageous and persevering leadership and the ministry of faith that has borne much fruit, not just in Beaumont or in that part of the region, not here just in Sugarland and Stafford, but all over this nation and around the world. And you're about to see with your eyes all that you had believed for that sometimes gets clouded along the way, but you're about to see with your eyes. And when I say you, you're receiving a word on behalf of your whole movement, amen? God's not looking to exalt an individual, but he does look for faithful individuals to say yes to God, and God does a great work in and through them. Amen? And we get to become the beneficiaries of that. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about that, but for right now, I want to talk about Micah chapter, I want to go to Psalm 61 just for a moment, because it's about perspective, and we'll touch more on this later, but something about perspective. 
I, I got a really clear picture of what this looked like when I was speaking at what's called the NRB, the National Religious Broadcasters. And I was speaking two sessions, and, and between sessions, I went back to my hotel room. It was in Nashville that year, and this year it's going to be in Orlando, but that year I went to my room, and I took one of those 15-minute power naps. Have you ever done that? And I fell asleep, and I, you know, I've been on a plane, and you kind of doze off, and you feel like you're drooling, you shake, you go, what happened to me? And people looking at you like, the guy is weirding out here. But I went to my room, thank God nobody was there, and I, I did one of those things where I went into a sleep, and, and it was a real quick uh, power nap. But I had this, this voice in my dream where it was like the devil was saying, God doesn't care about you. He's not a father. I had written the book, Fatherless Generation, Hope for a Fatherless Generation, Who's Your Daddy Now? And my most recent one is called In Search of a Father's Blessing. Everybody is longing for the blessing of the father. But we don't have to look at it from earthly situations if you don't have a good relationship because God, our Father in heaven, Colossians 1.12 says that we give thanks to the father who has qualified us. You know, much of the fighting in the Middle East has a, is a father issue. It goes back to the descendants of Kedera and Hagar. It goes back to the descendants of those who wanted the blessing of Isaac. And so, but they have that blessing if they would just turn to Jesus, they have an inheritance waiting for them. Amen. So I went to sleep and I'm, I'm hearing this voice and I kind of saw this big crowd. It was like, like a big parade and this huge crowd. And I felt like a little kid and everybody else was bigger than me. And I, and I was in the crowd and I couldn't see and I felt I was going to be tra you know, trampled and I'm afraid and I'm going, God, help me, God, help me. And that's when I heard this voice say, God doesn't care about you. And that's when I remember the Lord reached down in the crowd and he picked, up, picked me up out of the crowd and put me on his shoulders. Have you ever been, when you were a kid, ever had someone pick you up on their shoulders and it gives you a different, you make, it makes you feel big. Yeah. You, you look from this way up and when all of a sudden you get above the crowd, it gives you a whole different sense of confidence, doesn't it, in perspective. So in this dream, he takes me, I didn't see what he looked like, but he picked me up out, out of this crowd put me on his own shoulders, and no longer was I afraid because I had a different vantage point and perspective. And I remember this scripture in Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When God picks us up out of our circumstance, be it individual or be it corporate, or be it with the challenges around the world. We hear so much negative news. If you turn to spend too much time on the news and the media and Hollywood and all this stuff, you're never going to get the perspective of God. We need God's perspective. Bill yeah. Lombardi, one time he said when he came to Green Bay and they were a losing team in the early 60s, uh, he came in 1959, but in the early 60s he said, he said, and he picked up his, 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 the football and he said, this is a football. Sometimes we have to just turn the world off and come back and say, this is the Bible. Amen. This is where Joshua could say, as for me and my house, we will listen to the news of God. We will listen to the word of the Lord. We will serve the Lord. And too often we listen to all the noise pollution around us. When I was in Philadelphia another time uh, doing, helping to facilitate what's called America for Jesus with Bishop Jimenez and others, and I was there one day meeting with some pastors and leaders, and a businessman said to me, he, when he retired, he left from 
from Wall Street. And, but when he, was grow, when he was growing up, he never had a good relationship with his parents. So when he had children, he wanted to be at every one of their sporting events. And he would try to leave New York and get back to Philadelphia in plenty of time for the weekends to be able to be at every uh, gathering or sporting event for his children. One of his sons, Brandon, was a great crew member. And so all these college scouts were coming out to watch this big regatta. And he was out there, and before he went out, he said, Son, I know I probably embarrass you because every one of your, 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 your regalas, and whenever I come out there, I'm screaming loud, and I hope I don't embarrass you. And Brandon said to his dad, Dad, you don't get it, do you? Of all the thousands of people screaming and all the noise, I don't hear their voice. I only hear your voice the voice of my father encouraging me. And at the end of the day, with all the noise pollution and all the potential distractions and all the voices out there, there's a time when we as the body of Christ need to get back to hearing only one voice. That's the voice of the Lord. In Micah chapter 4, this reminds me of triumph in, in many ways. But let me just give you the Doug Stringer paraphrase. It will come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. That's the first point. The inference here is that people will gather from all over the world to the house of the Lord. Now we know in the context it's talking about the New Jerusalem, Mount Zion. But it's also speaking to those of us who are grafted in as the body of Christ. And in the context here I believe God is saying that I'm going to do something here. That the nations will know and they'll be taught by me. They will come. All peoples will be welcome. And the inference here is that all ethnos, all ethnicities, all kingdoms, all nationalities, all cultures will gather at that mountain of the Lord. That house of the Lord. And here's what's so amazing about what God has done through this congregation and through the churches that are connected to each of you in Triumph Church. The nations are gathered. It's not something we want to do as a good idea. It's something that's already been part of the DNA of your congregations. That all peoples feel welcome. Now watch this. Because there is some maneuvering. There's things we have to work through in intentionality. When, when you are disappointed with a family member, do you disown them? No. You still love them. You're still family. You may disagree, but you still work together. You still walk together. You still love one another. How many times have my little brother and sisters, nine and ten years younger than me, they were sibling rivals. They're always getting you know, mad at each other. But when it came to someone picking on the other, they bowed up and they were there taking care of their brother or sister, the other one, right? Well, we as the body of Christ have to realize that our, we, are, we have a common bond. That's the shed blood of Jesus. Right. In the world, we would, some of us would probably not get along. Maybe some of you didn't, wouldn't like us Japanese people. Or people look like Japanese people. <laughs> but at the end of the day, because of the work of the cross and the love of Jesus, the great and abounding and amazing grace of God, we are gathering together with a purpose greater than ourselves. And interestingly, that Houston is no longer second to New York in diversities of languages spoken or nationalities. Houston has become the most diverse city in America. Houston also has the most diverse university in America. So that means that not only do we have to go to the nations, the nations are coming to us. 
So what God has done is prepared triumph to be a place for all peoples to feel welcome, to gather and the help, to be taught. Why should the nation say, where is your God? They will see that Jesus is Lord. Now watch this. The key component in Micah is this, when it says that, that he shall call them to beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation or ethnos, neither shall they learn war anymore. What he's saying is, give me all your fighting tools against each other and let's turn them into harvesting tools together. Charles Finney, the great evangelist, said this, the revival is no more a miracle than a crop of wheat. What is he saying? The miracle is not in our tilling of the ground. The, the miracle is not in the sowing of the seed itself. The miracle is not in the watering of the seed, but the miracle is what God does in a seed of obedience that's put into the ground that he does the miracle of letting that seed die to bring forth a mighty harvest and giving increase to it. Simple obedience is the highest form of worship. The first time the word worship is ever mentioned in Scripture is not in the context of singing or instruments, but in the context of obedience with God. So what God is looking for in us is to get, remind us of the landmarks along the way. Recalibrate and refocus back on God's promises, not on our circumstances. How many know that Jesus is still on the throne of the kingdom of God? How many know the only unshakable kingdom is Jesus's? When my mother became a widow and lived with me for eight years, little Japanese lady, four foot eleven. When she she her she was getting older, she her hair was getting shorter, so she she made a Japanese afro. I call it a Jafro. <laughs> I'll tell you more about my mom later, but the, the funny stories about how I had to honor her in those eight years, even though I sure didn't want to have to take care of as oldest Asian son taking care of my mother, widowed mother. But one day I was leaving the house to go minister with Jim Cimbala and Jack Hayford and others at a prayer gathering. And my mother looked at me and said, Doggy, you got to do something. I go, what, Mom? She goes, there's crack in the wall. I mean, there, there must be crack in the foundation. And if you don't do something, everything go bad. I said, Mom, I'm trying to get spiritual. I got to go to this meeting. I don't care. I change your diaper, you know. <laughs> and sure enough, I neglected to take, because there's cracks in the sheetrock as a sign. I neglected to take care of the foundation, and it cost me far more later to get the foundation fixed. Then I had to fix the sheetrock and the siding and the roof, all because I neglected the foundation. Paul says, if you build in any other way than on the foundations of the Lord, it will not last. God wants us to refocus, restore the joy of his salvation, that moment of when God revealed his amazing grace to us, the place of his calling in our lives, the promises of God, the landmarks along the way, so at this moment we can recalibrate and refocus. And in this house, know that it's a for a time such as this. For the nations are ready to gather in a place where all nations are welcome. But what they'll see more than anything is how we, even in our diverse thinking, God's not calling for uniformity. He's calling for unity in our diversity to become part of something bigger than ourselves. And we put aside those differences in the walls, that, but if we become intentional, at that moment, they will see something of authenticity of the presence of God. When we put aside our weapons of bickering and fighting against each other to pick up harvesting tools. It's harvest time. It's harvest time. I'm never finished, but I'm going to quit. But let me ask you this before we come back for tonight. Because there's something... How many have... 
need of a great breakthrough, a miracle in your life? How many believing for an unsaved loved one? How many believing for a miracle in your body? Whatever that need is, I want God to do that on our behalf tonight. But let's start with first things first. There were five things that kept Israel out of the promised land for 40 years. 1 Corinthians 10 says one is lust. What is that? Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life. We need to stay low in humility. Number two is idolatry. What is idolatry? Anything that masters or possesses our affections more than Jesus, even our opinions. Number three, sexual immorality. We don't need a dictionary to figure out what sex sins is. And for some, and this isn't even prophetic insight or word of knowledge, but the reality is even in the church is a high percentage of people bound by sexual immorality, even in the spirit, because it gets into the shar R, which is the gateway to our heart that controls us through our eye gate and our ear gate, what you're watching on, the, on TV or on the, on, the, the inter, on the internet when you think people aren't watching. God sees, God knows. Yes. Sexual immorality. Fourth is a thing that is called tempting Christ. We act like Christians here, but out there do we reflect Christ to a world that desperately needs good news. And the fifth one is one that's very subtle, and I call it the spiritual immune deficiency disease. It's the cancer cell that begins to destroy other cancer cells. The fifth thing that kept Israel out of their promised land for 40 years was murmuring, backbiting, gossip. Proverbs says that those who listen to gossip become evildoers. It's a seditious, subtle spirit that destroys God's purpose for us. See, we become the beneficiaries of a corporate calling and anointing. And God is calling you to become part of something bigger and a, a corporate anointing for a harvest, for the things you've been praying for. But don't let the subtle things distract you as you begin to undermine and murmur one against one another or those that are trying to help lead you to look out for your spiritual soul and your spiritual maturity. Murmuring, backbiting, it's that cell that destroys cells. So I'm going to ask you this, and I've, if, if it's a crusade of 30,000 in a Muslim country or if it's with 50 in a garbage dump, or if it's in a palace of a governor or a president of a nation that I've been able to have the privilege of ministering to, I never allow people to bow their heads at this moment. Because we can be manipulated by song, music, and atmosphere to raise our hands and respond, but there's something of pride that we have to die to. I've had some friends that have been imprisoned for their faith, some assassinated for their faith, as some of you I know and pastor, you've known some. It costs them everything for their faith. But for us today, all it costs us is our pride. So on the count of three, if there's things in your life you know that have not been pleasing to the Lord, and you want to just let that go and say, God, I put this on the altar for you to deal with so I can come back ready with a fresh anointing and expectation for the miraculous of God to work in and through my life. Then on the count of three, if there's things in your life you know that are not pleasing to the Lord, don't let it become the thing that hinders you from entering into the promises God has for you. So on the count of three, there's things in your life you know they're not pleasing to God. Then we don't have to be exposed publicly. We just have to be honest publicly. So on the count of three, if there's things in your life you want to leave at the altar of repentance for a time of refreshing, then just stand with me. One, two, three. Is there anyone? Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. Would you put your hand on your heart with me and put your other hand towards heaven and let's pray like we really mean this. 
Because what God does in any moment transcends geography and time. So what God is doing here is a microcosm. What God wants to do in preparation for what he's going to do across the city and around this nation in the context this morning of what God is doing here at Triumph. A foundation has been laid, and now it's time to build on that foundation. But it's for us to recalibrate and get refocused on our first love so God can do a work of release through every one of us in a corporate context to see harvest. Would you pray with me and say it like you really mean it? Say, Lord Jesus, come on, like me. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins and the things I've done that have broken your heart and brought shame to your name. Right now, by faith, I give you the right to do whatever you need to change my life, change my thinking, change my heart. Do whatever you need to do, Lord to help me to be what you've called me to be. I leave my flesh. I leave my sins on the altar of repentance for a time of refreshing. Now by faith, I receive a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit of God in Jesus' name. And everyone said, let's give the Lord a hand this morning. Thank you, Doug. What a great word. You may be seated. How many of you enjoyed that? Give him a, a message of appreciation. God bless you for being here today. What an encouraging, faith-building word this was. We hope that you'll make plans to be back with us tonight. We start at 6. Worship straight to Doug. And who knows what God's going to do. Thank you for being responsive in worship. Thank you for being responsive to the word. Thank you for being responsive in giving. This offering is, goes directly to Doug and Lisa and uh, their Somebody Cares ministry. I know that you will be generous and kind here today. Please use your offering envelope um, and get that ready. Again, if you want to give electronically, you certainly can. If you're watching online and this message has touched your heart, be sure and um, hit push pay and uh, be, a, be a blessing as you have been blessed. Because the scripture says... That when people minister to us spiritual things, then we return with to them something uh, financially. And so uh, let's practice that here today as you prepare to give. On the, out in the foyer, you're going to see Leadership Awakening by Doug Springer, as well as other books and products he has. Feel free to drop by there and uh, see what can be a blessing to you uh, on that table. We're going into our last week of a limited fast. This week we're fasting meat. So continue to increase your prayer time and fast, which helps you to, um, helps keep you connected spiritually to the Holy Spirit Wi-Fi. When you fast, you use that craving and that constant reminder that I'm not eating something I would normally eat. It keeps you connected. So uh, I encourage you in that way. Then don't forget that um, next week, All of our volunteer ministers, there's a biscuits and gravy breakfast for you. And then afterwards, it's um, a taste of triumph, a tailgate party right after the church. And please get signed up before you so we'll know that uh, we'll have a place for you. Father, we thank you for the word. We receive it, Lord, in good soil of our our heart. We ask you, Lord, to cause it to grow and, and bring forth a harvest. We bless this man and woman of God in everything that they do. May their 
ministry be blessed, their finances be blessed, their health be blessed. Continue to use them for your glory in this hour. In Jesus' name, everyone say amen. God bless you for your faithfulness and your giving here today. I want to bless you, and uh, as soon as you've given, you can certainly um, be dismissed. If you need prayer or ministry for anything personally, you feel free to come down. My prayer partners will come forward now. And uh, if you want personal prayer or ministry, if we can help you in that personal kind of way, uh, this will be your opportunity. So before you leave, come down, receive prayer. If not, we'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock. May the Lord bless and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and give you peace. May goodness and mercy follow you. The joy of the Lord fill your heart and give you strength. I bless you all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Thank you for being here today.